Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.A. Conrad, here with Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. Hi, Conrad. How's yeah. it going? I knew it was coming. And we are on episode 42, if you can believe it. 42, we're getting close to the big 5-0. Yep, yep. Um, and this week, as you may have surmised by Ollie's wonderful voice work, we are discussing the film Birdman, uh, which features Michael Keaton. Um, and we're going to be throwing Birdman into our crossover chamber, um, throwing it against Fight Club and talking a little bit about the, the commentary on media. I'm pretty pumped for this, Conrad, because Fight Club was a pretty influential movie in my uh in when I saw it. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'd argue it's still an influential movie. But um mm. uh and then in the top five we are discussing top five celebrity comebacks. So I'm curious to see if we will have a mind melt here. I I was a bit obscure about a couple of things here. Oh, and I and I admittedly have broken the rules a little bit. Uh, well, you know, I broke the rules pretty big. Because uh, otherwise I feel like it gets a little bit boring because <laughs> you can kind of predict what it's going to be, you know? Yeah, well, we know one that's definitely going to be on that list. Um, do we? And, hmm. Well, I, I think we do. I think we do. Um, so uh, Birdman, um, before we get into spoilers, let's kind of talk about this a little bit. So Birdman film uh, that is in limited release right now. It's not um, available all over the country. But this was one of my films that I talked about in my top five fall most awaited things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a film I was pretty excited about. Uh, I had heard about it on another podcast, NPR's Pop Culture hour and uh was pretty excited about it just about just based on the concept but i'm just curious before we talked about it for this show had had you heard about this film at all um yes i had i heard i saw a couple little snippets and you had mentioned it so i looked into it a little bit more um and i think i actually saw a trailer for this um during one of our and i forget what it was or it might have even been when i was flying out to santa fe there was some little trailer or something um but yeah, so, you know, I was excited to see it, um, but we should keep this for the discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and just to give everyone a gist of it, it's, this is a, um, it's a dark comedy, um, just came out starring, uh, well, in, again, limited release. Cast includes Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Al, Edward Norton is here, uh, Amy Ryan, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts. Um, Andrea Risenborough. Um, and it's directed and has a, some pretty heavy cin- um, cinematographer heavyweights, right, Conrad? Mm-hmm. Yep, it is. Um, I know we, we talked about this before we even went on, but... Um, Emmanuel, uh, it's Emmanuel, Emmanuel Lubezki is the cinematographer for this who film. We, who a lot of our audience probably remembers as a cinematographer behind Gravity, yep. cinematographer behind Children of Men, uh, Ituma Tambien. Um, and he's really well known for having these continuous uh, takes. Um, there's right. the epic take. Uh, which goes on for about 12 minutes or so in Children of Men. Gravity pushed the limits even more. He's worked a lot with Alfonso Cuaron, um, really well known for a lot of uh, a lot of beautiful cinematography. Right, uh, and, then, and then the director of this film is Alejandro González Inar- Inarritu, and apologies for, for 
being a terrible person <laughs> saying that name terribly <laughs> wrong um, and not giving it uh, the, the probably correct inflection. Um, but he's actually done a lot. Uh, his films have tended to be a lot heavier and more more yeah, drama, dramas. Uh, <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. Um, he uh, probably most people know him um, from... Um, Babel. Babel, Babel is probably yeah. the biggest, don't you think, think? Yeah, I'd say 21 Grams, too. Some people have probably seen that. Yeah, uh, but I uh, think Babel is probably, in terms of the 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 size of the audience, that, to me, I think is the first film that came to mind when I saw his name. I, I haven't seen Babel, um, and I stayed away from it because of the mixed reviews. Uh, was that a film that you liked? If you saw um, it? it was... Um, it was worth seeing, um, and again, it's like all these. It's a lot of different stories that that there's like a cross section between, and there are parts of it that I really liked. There were other parts of it, it that I didn't feel worked as well, at, like in the overall um, storylines. But there, it there's some very thought provoking provoking moments within it. Mm. Um, and I don't want to give too much away and and I, I don't want to give spoilers on it. I do think it's worth you seeing. Yeah. Well, um, I did although see definitely. And if you're ready to see a heavy film, cause it's definitely heavy. Um, and you know, I, I was actually a little bit surprised to see that he was doing this because it is a black comedy and there's a certain, and you know, I guess parts of it, I guess I could see him being able to pull it off but whether he did or not we will discuss yeah um but um, yeah but i you know there's that uh i i did not actually see um 21 grams although i know that naomi watts was in that well and i i did see 21 grams okay so Um, we we have our we have our we we're complimenting each other here a little bit which is good you know funny story about that um it's another very dark um heavy movie like Babel. it's a story about uh different individuals whose paths cross uh cross in the uh climax of the film um it's pretty dark conrad and uh nguyen and i went to go see it with um a, a couple of friends of ours and uh i had never heard of it and they told us that it's uh it's kind of a romance film and we saw it on valentine Day. Oh, oh um, my gosh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was totally... I know I know the summary of the film and that is not that is not a film no. you see on Valentine's Day. No, and we saw it in a theater that had these really like um kind of love seats and you kind of it's like it was a really cool cozy theater. It was not the kind of experience we needed no. on Valentine's no. Day. It's pretty dark. But yeah, I think this is a director who has had um a mixed history with critics and with audiences. Um he is known for doing these stories that uh have a lot of different elements that come together. So kind of a mixed background here. Um, a cinematographer who's known for one style, but then a uh, an actor who has had a pretty uh, a career filled with a lot of ups and downs. You know, Michael Keaton is someone who uh, we all remember for being the first uh, big screen major blockbuster actor to play Batman. Um, but before that, known as a comedian. After that, known as a guy who's been in a lot of for the most part, 
Um, Jack not Frost. Not great movies. Jack Frost springs <laughs> to mind. Um, yeah. He did, but this is the thing about Michael Keaton. I mean, he he did Batman and he, there's like a, he did Beetlejuice. He's, I mean, in terms of the, and, you know, prior to his film career, he was a stand-up comic. Um, yeah. You know, he has had, he definitely had, um, it, just a lot of films under his belt. I mean, mm-hmm. and then, you know, he, I don't know if you ever saw, um, he did this uh, film where he plays um, a character who is dying. And I was actually thinking a lot about this, given some of the news this week about uh, the the woman who had decided, you know, she had, we'd, had been getting a lot of publicity lately about her right to her die. Her decision to end her life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Um, what was it? It was with uh, Nicole Kidman, and mm-hmm. it was this very, you know, hard, very hard movie to to watch. And he did the. It was called My Life, and then it was that in the middle of doing like, and then he did like Multiplicity and all these other weird <laughs> films in the meantime. Um, so he's got. He's definitely had. Um. Um, a diverse career, probably, a diverse career, but there's also like a lot of decisions within there that that you're kind of like, huh, and it makes me just wonder how he was making the decisions. Maybe, maybe he like was like, okay, you know what, I'm done with the heavy stuff. I I don't want to like do something heavy. I'm just gonna do a Jack Frost, and <laughs> and that's that'll be that. Um. And well, and, and one of the big criticisms he's had in his career is just he decided not to move forward with Batman. Um, he didn't continue to do Batman Forever, and he did some of these other things. And one of the things that I'm always surprised to learn is, you know, he he did uh, he did The Simpsons. He's done King of the Hill. He was in Toy Story. He played uh, the voice of Ken in Toy Story. Um, he's done a lot of very different things. He was in RoboCop this year uh, and Need for Speed. Um, so he turned, he said no to genre films with not continuing Batman, got back to comedy, was in Jackie Brown, um, and then was in a, a couple of bad films this year, bad kind of action films. So I, I guess I think that's a good way to say it. A, a lot of people have questioned the choices that he's made in the films that he has decided to be in. Yeah, but I also don't, I mean, I kind of feel like he's still making the decisions. And at this point, maybe he doesn't even care. So he's just kind of like, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. Because I know he was yeah. even in a couple of independent films where he was paid absolutely nothing. There's really no... No, he just wanted to be in it, you know, you know, so I, I just think, um, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think it, in some ways this, this part was built for him. Oh, absolutely. And they use and, and, that, and they use that throughout this film and, um, you know, with Ed Norton in the film with him, who was also in, you know, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, it, like, and a, a, an actor who um, at the time when after he was an in incredible Hulk, he um, some say he wasn't given the option to return in Avengers and play Hulk. Um, and there were some creative differences between mm-hmm. him and Marvel Studios and that that type of 
approach to acting is definitely what his character portrays in Birdman. Um, and so the, these roles seem like they were so incredibly written for these actors well, given their history. And it also is them poking fun at themselves. This is very much, it's like, it's a lot of things mixed together. Um, I saw you through the, the one of the reviews in there saying that it's like a farce and a parody and, you know... Lots of other stuff thrown on top, and I would agree with that. There's a lot of things about it that is very, and there's it's very meta. <laughs> like oh, there it's is incredibly meta. It's incredibly meta. Um, so this whole premise of of the film is uh, uh, Regan Thompson, uh, who's played by Mal- Michael Keaton, is an actor who hasn't really done much since he played this role of. Birdman in three different blockbusters, basically a Batman character. And now, um, many, many, many years after, uh, the, the film kind of opens up with him uh, sort of watching the news of Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man, being so successful, and his commentary on the superhero genre. And he's trying to basically re um, relaunch and reignite his career and prove to everyone that he's a talented actor by doing this uh, play production. Well, of- right, and it's it's a pretty obscure play production too. Um, yeah. for, but it's a real him. one. It's a real one. Um, it's it's you what know we talk about when we talk about love, right? Uh, uh-huh. And and that's kind of where the 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 show or, or the movie goes. And um, I mean, before we get into spoilers, what did you think of Boy- Birdman? Um, I actually had some pretty mixed feelings about it. Um, I liked certain things that they did. I thought the cinematography was great. I thought their use of soundtrack was great. Um, they have this fantastic uh, drum sort of um, theme that follows Michael Keaton's character around yeah, that quite was a great. bit. Yeah. Um, and there's, it's used in very specific parts um, and in very specific ways in order to get the character moving or to, to change sort of the mood of, of the film. Um, and you've got like some really incredible actors here. I mean, you've got Michael Keaton, you've got Ed Norton, you have, uh, Zach Galifianakis who actually is not playing what you would normally expect him to play. um, No, he's actually acting. He is actually acting. (laughs) Um, you have Naomi Watts, who I think is phenomenal. Um, you have Emma Stone and also from the superhero genre, uh, coming off of Spider-Man. Um, and you know, and, and there's, so, so it's an amazing cast and you've got like a lot of these elements, but I felt like the script was a lot weaker than I expected it to be. Mm. Um, and understanding that it, there is, there's a lot of things that are supposed to be a farce about it and you're supposed to like roll your eyes about certain things that happen because um, there's a little bit of a glimpse behind like the massive egos or of, and it's poking fun at theater and, and actors and all that stuff that goes on behind the sets or sorry, behind the scenes. Um, but there was part of me that just kept expecting more and I'm not sure if it's because I maybe read a little bit too much um, and I tried not to before I actually saw it, but it's hard not to see, to get some of the hype. Mm-hmm. And I maybe got hyped out. Um, mm. And there were, you know, I guess I just really wanted more. And I wanted him to be so amazing. And 
I think he was good, but I also don't necessarily agree with all the rave reviews. Um, Mm -hmm. I also, and, and I know that you may disagree with me on this. I'm not sure, but I thought that Emma (laughs) Thompson couldn't uh, like pull her weight in this film at all. Um, I didn't feel like she, I thought she was just, just not, I, I just, Emma Stone. sorry, not, what what did I say? Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. (laughs) Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson was horrible. No, sorry. Emma Stone. Forgettable in this film. (laughs) Uh, She's so forgettable. She wasn't even there. Um, (laughs) no, Emma Stone. Sorry. Um, like Emma Stone is, um, I like her a lot and I generally like her in whatever I see her in and in this and I I don't know if it was the script or if it's I just felt like it was without and some of the scenes between her and Ed Norton felt very forced to me and just just beyond precious and not good at all um I just felt like it was it was kind of and it wasn't just her I mean but that's the the character I'm going to pick on here um, and then there was another character that plays a key role within this film, um, which is uh, the film critic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to agree with exactly what you're probably about to say, which is that was a, um incredibly simplistic uh, stereotype of a character that had well, really no depth. It didn't. But I mean, and again, I feel like they were poking fun of the whole world. And I think that was part of part of the joke in some ways which is that it's about she's supposed to be this this evil film critic this uh, evil new york times film right uh, the the actress's name is lindsay duncan and she's an excellent actress yeah um and and so i feel like it was deliberately over the top and and basically the michael keaton character riggan gets to say everything i'm sure actors and writers and whoever would like to say to film critics or critics in general. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a, you know, he, you know, basically telling her she, she puts nothing on the line. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it just, it, there were turns like that, like that scene between um, Riggin and the film critic, the scenes between Emma Stone and Ed Norton. um, They just, just fell a little bit flat for me. So this will be interesting to talk about when we get into spoilers. So I do think I like the film more than you did. Uh, is but it, I did like, but I really liked Michael Keaton. I loved. Yes. There were scenes between. Generally, his scenes were incredible, and his scenes between just about everybody were incredible. Especially the the scenes with his ex wife that keep cropping up, and they're sort of the the touchstone to reality. So you see him with everybody else and then you see him with his wife where he's his most vulnerable. He's not even that way with his daughter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see a different side of him. And I think that he did that masterfully. And I think that his scenes where he's basically having fights with himself with his, with his inner monologue are impressive too. And you learn a lot about him. And I really liked how those were done. Um, I guess I just felt like it could have fit together a little bit better um, and I think that that's why I'm a little bit just dis- not a little bit apparent, like it, it, there was a lot of promise, especially with all of those scenes yep. and they're so well done that I just wanted everything else to live up to that. And I don't feel it did. I, I think that's, that's very fair. And without getting into spoilers, I'm going to say, um, 
I I really loved every um, sensory aspect of this film. You already mentioned the score, um, which is just uh, it, it's beautifully done, um, and it comes in in key scenes, and it, it's it's really great. Um, the cinematography again is um, uh, just stunning. The film is made to look like it's almost one continuous take, and that's a bit of a cheat. There are there are times when you're paying attention where it goes from day to night, night to day, and those are not the same cuts. No, obviously. no, and it's definitely <laughs> there's a lot of little film cheats in there on that count. Yeah, um, but but there are a lot of uh, long continuous. Uh, takes um, the kind that this cinematographer is known for, um, and those were really interesting because it adds so much more tension to these scenes. And I'm thinking a lot of the scenes that happen um, in this theater and where you're going through the different rooms of it, and it it's almost gets to the point where you you feel like you know. You could walk around in this theater yourself. Like we've explored it so much, you really get a feel for how uh, you get a feel for the space in 3D, which I haven't really had in many other films. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, they Ju- de- they definitely make you feel like you're walking through right behind wherever the camera is. Like it's yeah. that's and that's it's also a bit claustrophobic. I, I absolutely, felt, which I think is also deliberate. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it, it, you do get a feeling for for that in a in a in an interesting way. So I love those sensory aspects of it, um, and I agree with you. Um, Michael Keaton was great. I, I actually um, I'm don't you just, mean Buster Keaton? Buster Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> I think all around the acting was great. I'm going to disagree with you about Emma Stone. Um, even though I think you're probably getting hung up on some of the lines between Emma Stone's character and Edward Norton on, on the rooftop. Um, but I actually, those were some of my favorite moments of the film is when the two of them were talking. So I think the cast all around was good. Here's, I think the, my biggest problem of the film. Um, it does do a lot. So it's, it's trying to comment on the superhero genre of film. Um, and that I actually really liked because um, something we talked about, I think, when we reviewed The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is this great article um, titled We Need More Superhero Films, Not Less. And looking at the superhero genre from inception, from, which let's say it's the year 2000 with the release of X-Men to now or 14 years in um, – I think this is the year where we're starting to see people play around with the superhero genre with films like Captain America, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and now Birdman. They are playing around with these ideas of what type of stories you can tell with the superhero genre. And what this article talks about is with the Wild West genre, we had a lot of the same films for the first few decades, and then people started to experiment with it. So I think this is a nice entry um, into telling a very different type of story about the superhero that I liked, but then it it does get into um, uh, these these ideas of art versus celebrity and entertainment, um, and it, it's trying to talk about social media and generational differences. And I think as the film goes on, it's trying to tackle on more and more really big ideas. And I don't think it all coalesces at the end. That being said, I still really enjoyed the film 
for having the ambition to take on these different areas. And for that, I definitely recommend it for anyone who's a fan of Michael Keaton, any of these actors, or someone who's looking for um, a different take on the superhero genre. So I I really liked it, um, even though things didn't really come together for me all at the end. Um. Yeah, I guess so. I I think it's an interesting film, and it it made me think about a few things, but mostly it made me think about the things I wished had been different within it. So, so would, would I don't that... know. I don't know that I would recommend it. Um, to everybody, I think that, and I also, you know, this is not. Even though it's a dark comedy, it's a pretty dark comedy, in my opinion. Um, yeah. there, there's things that get pretty, um, that could be upsetting to think about. Yeah, and, absolutely. and, you know, if you're not into that, I wouldn't recommend that everybody see this. Um, I think it's, you know, if you are into films and this is, you, you want to, to go and experience this, I'd say go for it. Um, but I don't think it's for everybody. Well, I'm pretty excited now because I think this is the first time you and I have had a pretty strong disagreement here so i'm really excited to get into this conversation you want to head into spoilers um yeah i think i already spoiled some though sorry i thought we were already into into the spoiler zone i did i did i talked about the critic um that's okay that's not a big spoiler so we're gonna spoil the film folks um i'm giving it a thumbs up conrad's giving it a kind of um yeah i I Um, would give it the the come see come saw wavy hand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so. <laughs> okay. So with that, let's get into spoilers. Um, so Conrad, here's this film does leave some pretty big questions, right? Um, so he it it opens up on an image of him levitating. We see that he has these telekinetic powers. He's experiencing um, a vision of the Birdman. In the voice, in the style of Christian Bale's Batman, you're seeing that um, there's a there's a very kind of surreal moment, getting close to the climax where he basically becomes Birdman, is flying, and in a very meta moment, there's some explosions, and he's like, "Look at that! They're eating up the explosions." Things like that, Um, and there's a very big question mark at the end where Michael Keaton's character basically disappears from the hospital room and we see his daughter, played by Emma Stone, kind of walk in, look out, look down, is puzzled, looks up, and kind of smiles. So what do you, what's going on there? What does it all mean? Well, I mean, I think that that's part of the, the question with this film, and, and which is why people have a hard time putting a definition on what it is. Um. And, you know, is this a fantasy in his own head? Is this like sort of a journey of his metamorphosis? And this is not in the real world. Um, because the the end of the, the film, you haven't, I mean, throughout the film, you have him having these fantasies about Birdman and having these supposed superpowers. And, you know, he's able to move things and trash things and whatever. But then you see uh, the his agent slash producer, the Zach, Galifianakis character walk in and he's trashed his whole dressing room yeah so you're kind of like okay so is he just imagining that he can actually you know does he have these powers or is it just him sort of you know twisting around his own head so this is what's happening 
in real life, he's actually, you know, hallucinating. Um, so, so you have a lot of those questions going on because it's striding that line between reality and fantasy. And there's a lot of wish fulfillment going on here too. Like, so. Which I think that right there is, that's part of the, I think that's some attempt at having a commentary also on the superhero genre of a, a little bit of wish fulfillment here. Um, I think it's, you know, so, I mean, uh, the question that people are going to ask is, uh, is he suffering from hallucinations? Is he seeing things or hearing things that other people are not? Um, is he suffering from delusions, believing things that other people would not believe? And in this situation, I think the jury's out on that. There's well, evidence one way and there's evidence I, I another way. I think that the director is doing that deliberately. Absolutely. And I think they want to leave you with questions. And, um, and then there's, you know, there's definitely the heavier side of all this. So he's a character that's imagining that he's all these powers and he's in a pretty powerless situation where he's trying to reinvent himself. He's coming up against obstacles and terrible things in his own mind at every end. Um, but he's also a pretty selfish character. Um, you know, he he's very focused on everything going on with himself, and he ignores everything else around him, including what's going on with his daughter. Um, or when he does see different things going on with his daughter, he doesn't really address them. Um, yeah. And he doesn't address them in a very fatherly way um and you know the conversations with his ex-wife where you know she's trying to actually have a real conversation with him and asks a question like sometimes i wonder why did we ever get divorced and then he pretty much answers that question by being extraordinarily self-centered and egotistical you know so there there's a lot of the there's there, there, she says one of my favorite lines in the film which is you confuse admiration for love right and that speaks to how this guy is um is so craving the attention and uh his his perception of love from other people that he does lose sight of what's happening to those that he's actually close to right and i mean i think that this is part of the commentary on celebrity and the commentary yep. on the superhero films and you know they call out a lot of people within this within this movie my uh, favorite is when they call that george clooney well he calls out george clooney but he also calls yeah. out michael fassbender he calls yeah. out you know because they're because the lead actor gets you know is <laughs> is not able one of the actors is not able to go on with the show and so they have to find somebody else and he starts naming all these people and oh they're in avengers oh they're in x-men you know like <laughs> yeah. and and just basically saying look this is what's going on that we have all these superhero films um and then that's so interesting just to have michael keaton react to that because he's here's the guy who was one of the biggest superheroes before anyone else was doing that and there's a lot of criticism for him becoming batman mm -hmm. because you know uh what was it um uh, uh mr daddy or what was the film that he was in was it mr daddy there no, uh, mr mom Mr. Mom, yeah, people are saying Mr. Mom can't be Batman. And so here he is now 20 years later where every leading actor in Hollywood is trying to be a superhero. Um, so there was a little bit of that commentary on celebrity and the superhero genre. Right. Uh, I mean, so there's, there's a lot of that going on in this film. Um, and, you know, and I, and I think overall that's what there, – there's some – so there's that commentary on the superhero genre. There's a commentary on on 
this character as an actor and what his life has been. He there he keeps circling around this question like and there the Birdman monologue in a monologue says some things um and he says it a few times how he they used to be on top of the world they used to make yeah. millions of dollars they used to do all of this stuff but then he also reveals later on in the film that he tried to commit suicide yeah so even when he was at the top of his game from what it sounded like i'm making somewhat of an assumption here um clearly he was not happy or satisfied and so there's there's a lot of questions about that too and about what success means um and there's also a whole dialogue between him and and edward norton where they talk about prestige versus celebrity you know what i mean like all the there's a ton of these little messages mixed in um and and also there's there's a bunch of things there's definitely a commentary about um fandom as well and and the people who are fans of this or you're supposedly and and you and i have talked about this before it's when somebody's out there trying to they they're cast as something and whatever and we talked a little bit about this uh related to ben affleck uh, and his casting as batman and and the like just sort of the the vitriol that has been spewed about this subject matter and it's about the fact that he was cast and there's many other people that have suffered this as well. Um, so, you know, the Michael Keaton character is walking around Times Square or wherever he goes and people either are like, he used to be this guy or they're like, you, you're, you're, you're terrible. You were terrible. Yeah. You're the worst. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's almost like you that, can't win. That idea that um, you have permission because this person is a celebrity or has been in this role, you have permission to say all these things to him, to uh, that this person has no expectation of privacy, all of these things. And you do see the whole range of responses from, hey, man, I love you, to uh, who's that? Oh, used to be in Birdman, to you suck, Birdman, you're a loser. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see all of that. And then you see also the film's attempt to uh, uh, speak to social media. And the idea that these um, that you can be no one one day, and then a video can go viral, and millions of views means something. It means some type of limited celebrity, or it means somehow you've made it, or things like that. And he does have this uh, debate, um, Michael Keaton's character with Emma Stone, talking about her generation and his generation, which I do think the film kind of was reaching there. The the dialogue wasn't really on point, really there, but. Um, the film is trying to do a lot. And I want to return to what you mentioned about him being suicidal. And uh, in the climax of the film, um, when he does, when there is opening night in this theater, at the end of the show, instead of using a real gun, he, or instead of using a fake gun, he uses a real gun, which is a v- very difficult thing to watch for, for anyone. Um, but what we learn, again, there's a lot of questions here. And what we learn later is he ends up shooting his nose right. and he survives. So, yeah, but so was he really intending? Exactly. And, uh, I, and, and and this is the thing. So I hate to be <laughs> not like I'm not saying that I, I wanted him to do himself harm at all. But I feel like this was it almost felt like this was a stunt. Well, in the end, this, and there there's is... moments in the film that feel like a stunt. Right. So, so 
the thing about seeing Birdman, seeing the character of Birdman and hearing Birdman's voice, there is conflicting evidence here. It's not a consistent um, portrayal in the film. No. We get evidence both ways, that he has these powers, that he doesn't have these powers. With With the suicidality here... It's similar where we're getting different messages here. It's not cohesive and, and, and consistent. Uh, my big criticism of this film is uh, that makes me wonder if the writers here really had a clear idea of what they're going for. And other individuals might say, but Ali, that's the idea. The idea is to leave question marks. I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, there's. Yeah, here I think it, it felt muddy to me too. Um, yeah. And even, you know, um, and of course, immediately what came to mind, and this is what kind of led to our crossover chamber discussion mm-hmm. this evening, is the scene in Fight Club mm-hmm. where Tyler... We're, we're going to spoil her. Yeah. We're going to spoil yeah. Fight Club right here. Yeah, yeah. I, so. That's that's a valid point. That's a valid yeah. point. If you've not seen... But if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Yeah, Come seriously, on. go watch Fight Club. Great, great film. Also disturbing too, though I should say. Also a great score. I love the score. <laughs> that yeah. score is fantastic. The Dust um, Brothers, I think. But it's um, there is a scene where the main character, who is played by Edward Nor- Norton, um, he slash Brad Pitt. Spoiler alert: same person. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> man, you couldn't wait to spoil that, could you? No, it's it's awesome. Spoiler. Um, he, like, he basically is confronted by the proof that he himself has been causing all of the things going on in his life where he, he's viewed himself as, um, sort of fighting with this character, uh, Tyler Durden, who is played by Brad Pitt and then discovers that it's actually himself, that he's basically so disturbed or so like disenchanted with his life that he's created another life and it's a pretty insane second life (laughs) um (laughs) and to get rid of the tyler durden character he shoots himself yeah and so part of me thought that this was very deliberate within birdman because Mm. i'm wondering if this was him exercising birdman you know i totally did not make those connections but i think you're right um Uh, and then there are scenes later where uh ridden Riggin, rather, sees uh, Birdman and tells him to F off. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, okay, I'm done with you. Um, so so I don't know what that says. I, I don't think that they got that concept across because I thought that and then I'm like, huh, I'm not sure if I'm right about that. And then I thought about it more and I'm like, eh, I think that is what they were going for. And I'm wondering now if there was more than just like that, that actually, that scene, I was like, oh. They're they're doing that. That's why they wanted Edward Norton in this film. You know what I mean? Like it was a little bit. I felt like that was connection was made because he was there in some way. Yeah, I don't I don't think we have an ultimate message um, to this film. Um, But despite all of that, the reason why it works for me and the reason why I still recommend it is there are a lot of great moments. And this is probably one where you and I are really going to differ on. But the the scene on the rooftop that I alluded to earlier between Emma Stone and Edward Norton, I love those scenes where (laughs) – well, so Emma Stone was being a bit flirtatious and, uh, you know, they're playing truth or dare. And Edward Norton says uh, truth. And she says, you know, w- you know, what would you want to do with me? And he says, um, I wish I could rip out your eyeballs, 
put, put them in my sockets and be able to see the world as you do at the age you're uh-uh. at right now. He said, see this town. See That's this town. That's different. See this town. Um, right. So I, that that sounds really silly and stupid, but there's there's something in the way Edward Norton did that and who he is as an actor that uh, uh, just kind of like hit me um, in that moment. And um, I think the, the quality of the actors lifts up any of those weaknesses in the script, even though things don't coalesce. And even though uh, I think if you are going to evoke something as serious as, as suicidality – it really better make sense in the in um, in the story, and it, it better be there for a purpose as opposed to just shock value. Um, well, and, and that's this is the thing. This is why the scenes between Edward Norton and Emma Stone really bothered me. Is that I felt like they didn't go deep enough. I really didn't get anything out of those scenes between them. Um, it didn't. It felt like that was sort of one of the storylines that didn't get enough development or the script wasn't strong enough to to show what they were trying to show. I don't think that either of them did a bad job. I think that this was a weak script, um, in or at least in the scenes with those two. Um, and that's I, I think that, that it felt like it was wasted and it shouldn't have been wasted. Hmm. Um, it's, it's so interesting because I my problem is really more in the scenes between Emma Stone and Michael Keaton. Well, that I too, it, I agree. I, I'm like it just, and, and maybe I'm picking, maybe I'm picking on her when in fact I should be picking on the writers, um, because I, I feel like her scenes with her father are not like they're not what they should be, um, or not what I was hoping that they would be. Well, and and you don't, I mean, the conflict isn't really that strong either. Basically, Michael Keaton was kind of an absent father, and now Emma Stone's back, and she's been struggling with drugs. But uh, it's there seems to be a greater degree of conflict than uh, we would believe given the facts that we know. So I I think it's more of a writing issue here with the script, but... Even with that being said, I think so much of the rest of the film, the the stylistic choices, the direction, the acting, um, and okay, so pretty much everything but the script, <laughs> I think it it does elevate this film, and I think it is um, touching on some really interesting ideas. Is it a bit mixed? Is it la- does it come to a um, is it mixed? Yes. Does it come to a coherent sort of end? No, it doesn't. Do I still like the film despite all of that? Yes, I do. And I think it probably, what this comes down to for me is I really like the the ideas it's exploring and I like how it's such a different take on the superhero genre. And I like how it's so such a commentary on the superhero genre. Um, to me, in that aspect, uh, I'm going to evoke the W word here. I felt like it was getting to what we would see as a film version of Watchmen. You know, I don't mean like a film adaptation of Watchmen, but I felt like this was trying to do what Watchmen did in graphic novel form. Oh, I do not agree with you at all. Really? (laughs) No, I don't. I think you're... uh, I hate to be fighting with you, but I I think you're assigning... This is good podcast. I think you're assigning too much weight to a film that can't... It it has a few good ideas. It has some good actors. It definitely has some scenes that I respect. 
Um, as a film overall, I think it's better than a lot. I don't think that it deserves all the the puppies and kittens accolades that it's been getting. <laughs> like, I think the reviews are totally over the top. I don't think that this has anywhere close to the weight of Watchmen. Um, well, I said and approaching. Not even approaching. No, 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 no. No, I, I, I gotta agree. Um, and I it's, it's, this is the thing, like, when, so after I watched the film, I read some of the reviews of this and I, and I saw a lot of the points and, and there were some reviewers that made some very good points and, um, but there, it was almost like they had all jumped on the same bandwagon and I kept seeing all the same, like over the top, um, language used to describe it. And I just, I just don't agree. I mean, I think it's solid. I think that there's, it's a solid effort, I guess, is, is my issue. Is that when it, when, and an effort does not make it an overwhelmingly amazing film. Mm-hmm. So that's, well, that's just, it, it left too many things dangling. Um, it, it does. I agree and with it, that. And it did it in like kind of a, like annoying way. Um, and it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't as masterful as it should have been, given given how masterful a lot of the elements were. Like it just didn't. It was not. Um, it was not all that. Well, and I, I, I do think what they're doing with the direction, with the score, I think those things are kind of different than what we see with most films. And that aspect combined with the the meta ness of the of the superhero genre that those aspects to me felt very Watchmen esque, where Watchmen was playing uh, with the visuals, it had the story within a story, it had um, these ideas of what what would it actually be if superheroes were real. Um, this film was doing had some of the, was playing on some of the same types of ideas. Does it do all of those well? Um, it does some better than others, and I think the the boldness and ambition of the film in trying to t- take on all these ideas and some of the some of the great scenes. Um, that's why this film make, is a big recommendation for me. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it despite its uh, weaknesses and uh, lack of coming together at the end. All right, we're we're definitely well, going to have to disagree on this. One. Yeah, and I would really love. <laughs> I'm to not, hear what but our- again, it's not that I would tell somebody this was like a terrible film. I would say what I said before. I would give I would give a quasi recommendation. And I also think it depends on the kinds of films that you like. Um, This is, I enjoyed aspects of it. I definitely enjoyed the filmmaking aspects of it. And I did appreciate what they were trying to do. But I don't, I guess my problem is, is with it is that just because you're trying to do something different and you maybe didn't quite get where you were hoping to get with it or, or it didn't succeed doesn't mean that you get all the like, People to, you know, I guess they did because everybody seems to be in love with it. But um, I just don't think that you get the two thumbs up for me for that. Um, well, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, this film is expanding into uh, more markets. It's oh, done. It's it's going to be on the award circuit, certainly, it, I'm sure. It will. Um, and it, it made a ton of money in its very limited release. Uh, there's already buzz for uh, an Oscar nomination for Michael Keaton. It'll probably get a Best Cinematography nomination. So the film, it, you, you will be hearing more about the film. Um, and I would love to hear from our listeners. Um, 
if you get a chance to see this film, if you want to see it, um, let us know what you think. Um, and with that, Conrad, do you think we should venture into the infinite crossover chamber? Are you dumb fighting with me? Is that why you want to venture into the crossover chamber? <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, I could I could fight with you about this one much longer. All right, all right, yeah, we can go into the crossover chamber. <laughs> all right, let's open up those doors to the infinite crossover chamber. Welcome, creepy. Um, yeah, it got it got a little less Batman esque and a little bit more. I don't know. I don't even know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Conrad. Uh, what what two films do we have uh, in the crossover this week? Well, as we implied, we're crossing over um, Birdman with Fight Club. And the question is, which film shows a better commentary on media, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're talking about 1999's Fight Club. Uh, this is a film by David Fincher, who uh, many of you know from lots of different things, uh, based on a novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, those of you who, who were uh, watching our uh, San Diego Comic-Con Twitter coverage, we were at the uh, panel that was celebrating the 15-year anniversary of Fight Club. Um, so a, a film that is uh, pretty influential in uh, uh, for many individuals. It w- became a cult classic and a film that actually had somewhat mixed reviews when it first came out. Um, but it, we've talked about a lot of the commentary on uh, from Birdman on uh, – on media and the ideas of entertainment versus celebrity versus art versus all that stuff. What takeaway messages did you have about uh, the commentary in Fight Club? Well, I mean, I think both both films have, even though they're talking about different subject matters, both films are talking a lot about um, about corporate America. I think, especially Fight Club, mm-hmm. um, but in some, in Birdman, in some ways, and just about what what the masses, uh, what is in pop culture, what is popular, and what is popular is not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both films are giving that message. Just because that things are around everywhere and just because they are common and uh, popular right now, that doesn't necessarily mean we should accept them. And making a lot of money. It also, you know, there's a difference between art and and popularity. So, and commercial hits. And commercial yeah, I hits. Think, I think and that's both a big them, one. And both of them are, are and, and, you know, Fight Club is definitely a little bit more violent in its message, but... Um, you know, there, there's a whole speech, um, and, and a whole dialogue between Edward Norton and, and Tyler Durden and about, um, there, there's like a whole conversation about Ikea and, you know, sort of how generic, (laughs) it's a great scene and it is a great scene. Um, and just how generic everything has become and people like all of their living rooms look the same and this is what is being sold. So this is what people are buying. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting because this film came out in the late nineties, but there's, there are a few speeches. Um, another thing, again, spoilers here, another thing that, uh, Tyler Durden and his band of Mary, uh, anarchists do is they make, um, artisanal soaps 
using uh, fat from a liposuction clinic. Um, (laughs) And they sell it back to people at handmade, you know, artisanal soaps, basically. And I, I mean... Anybody who lives in New York or generally anywhere in these days has seen artisanal tagged um, in a lot of different things. That's not what they call it in the film, but it's the same idea. Um, And, you know, in, in Birdman, you've got Michael Keaton having this inner dialogue with himself about um, with the Birdman, basically about why he's in the theater that this this whole play this whole idea is a terrible idea that this is not what he wants because he wants the masses he wants the popularity he wants the money um and what do the people want they want explosions you know that kind of thing so i I, similar ideas although presented in very very different ways yeah no you're right i I think one of the clear takeaways from both of these films is um about these ideas of uh of marketing and uh perceived need and Mm -hmm. creating that want and desire um in fight club we definitely see that with that keen scene with the uh, with ikea um, he's looking at the catalog and he wants these things basically because they've been marketed and that's the social norm that's developed. Um, other people have these things. You want these things. You're comparing yourself to others. Um, you see the marketing all over the place. Oh, and, and also it, if you have these things, you will be happy and content. You yeah, know, there, yeah, there's yeah. definitely that message too, that this, this buying of these things will somehow fulfill you fulfill that. Um, yeah. and then in we- in birdman it's you know if you do these if you're if you're in these films and you're a commercial success then you'll be happy and content. Well, and I was also seeing it from a different perspective in Birdman where it's also um, y- you want to see this film. You want to see Iron Man. You want to see Avengers. You want to see Guardians of the Galaxy because we are marketing it towards you and you, and you want these things. Um, whether or not you want these things, you will want to see this film. So I think the social com- the social psychology of both films is really fantastic. I wrote uh, – I was in um, – now, I was in high school when Fight Club came out, and then in college, uh, in, for my social psych class with Professor uh, Frazier, I wrote a paper uh, analyzing the social psychology of Fight Club, and there was just so much interesting stuff to talk about. And I think Fight Club also get one of the areas where it gets into where it's a little di- different than Birdman is it it's kind of trying to deconstruct ideas of gender roles and um, ideas of what it means to be a man and ideas of masculinity, and it's it's. In a similar way as Birdman, it's being a little meta because it's talking about body image and is this what a man looks like? I don't think so. And it's Brad Pitt saying that, who a scene later has like, you know, not just a six pack, but like a eight pack shirtless, you know, and all of that. So it's it's also a film that while it is exploring these these different ideas, it is also doing it in a way that's a little tongue in cheek at times. And um, it's being meta, but it's also trying to be a little funny and not trying to be as serious. Um, so it, I, I think they both explore really interesting um, ideas, not to mention the relation between Edward Norton in both films and then also the whole idea of um, 
the disassociative identity disorder that uh, this character is, is experiencing, which I don't think it's the, that's the most that's the part that people always ask me about. Oh, you know, what do you think about that? And I'm like, that's not really the interesting part. The interesting part is more the social the social psychology, right. the ideas of advertising, of media, of consumerism. I think there's just a ton that's being explored there. So how do we figure out which one's better? <laughs> well, you know, I think I've made my opinion pretty clear. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think uh, Fight Club does a better job at cohesively bringing this message across. And it ties it all up into this very disturbing little bow. <laughs> However, it does <laughs> tie it up. Um, and so all the things... Not everything, because I think Fitcher always leaves a few things where you're kind of like, I don't understand how that worked. Um, but it ties it up enough that it's a very satisfying movie to watch. Um, and I do understand that Birdman, I think they're deliberately doing some things to make you uncomfortable and to make you think and to leave questions. But I don't think that all of that was deliberate. Um, and I think some of this could have been solved um with the script and it wasn't. Um, so I have to go with fight club here. It's hard for me not to pick a fight club. This, this film was really influential when I saw it. I think I ended up seeing it in a theater three times or something like that. Um, I think it is more of a cohesive film. I also think it has more of a singular type of message where it's exploring consumerism. It's exploring advertising and also group dynamics and conformity and obedience to authority. And a lot of these different things like, uh, you know, uh, you do not talk about Fight Club, the rules of that and then Project Mayhem and all that stuff that comes out. It's, it's really interesting stuff, but it's focused. Uh, the problem with Birdman is it, it is uh, tackling a lot of things. And I know I just spent like a half an hour defending how bold it is in exploring lots of different things. But for the purposes of this crossover, I think uh-huh. I have to give it to. F- well, no, no, Conrad, here's the thing media is one part of the mm-hmm. commentary in Birdman, it's also exploring other ideas. Um, so, whereas Fight Club, I do think, is, is there's a pretty strong uh, commentary solely on uh, on media. So I'm getting into Fight Club for that reason. All right. I I I will let it I will let it stand then. <laughs> I won't fight with you anymore. Well with that let's close up those doors to the infinite crossover chamber. And on to our top five. What are we talking about this week, Conrad? Uh, this week we are talking about comebacks and I think you said top five celebrity comebacks. That's right. So, um, I'm interested to hear how you defined celebrity comeback. Well, from- I actually, I actually, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I kind of expanded the definition a little bit. Interesting. Um, so I did more than just a single person. Um, and I okay, picked. So like groups of people? Um, yeah, and some different genres, just to mix it up a little bit. All right, all right, that'll be interesting. Um, I was really trying, in my top five, I was trying to, um, capture a range of different, uh, ways in which people come back. Um, so that's kind of the criteria I was going for. Um, all right, would you like to go first with your number five? Sure. Uh, my number five is actually something that we saw a lot at New York Comic Con. Um, and this is something that has made a comeback because it is, um, 
And it's not a celebrity. It's it's actually a cartoon. Um, and it, it they have been showing this cartoon now on Hulu, and it has gained like this crazy enormous following. Um, it was a cartoon that was on the 90s called Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I put it out there because um, I don't, it was kind of insane the number of Sailor Moon people that there were in cosplay that we saw. And I was wondering about it because I was kind of like, this is interesting. You know, you see classic things like that a lot. Um, but also uh, this past week during Halloween, I saw a ton of Sailor Moon people <laughs> rain around and I was just like, what is going Men on? Men and women. Uh, and this is actually before, yeah, both, but that's that's the great thing about that show. Um, and yeah. I think that this is, uh, I'm using it as an example because I think that there's a lot a lot of different classic cartoons and things like that um, that have come back and, and toys. I mean, we see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, My Little Pony and the Bronies and, and um, you know, uh, Justice League is another one. Um, and they they come back and then there's like this new like legion of fans that are rabid. Um, so that's why I threw sailor moon in there. I, I, okay. So I'm just going to say this now and I'll get it out of the way. I, I think that's a good cartoon comeback. I don't necessarily think that's a good celebrity comeback. So what the character what, is somewhat of a celebrity though. Um, and she's, you know, she was kind of an unlikely hero and certainly an unlikely thing to come back in the um like even in the 90s it was kind of i mean anime was getting kind of popular and things like that but it was still i even remember seeing how it was gaining popularity and was like wow this is impressive that this is going where it is so So anyway so i'll just have to accept that your definition you're defining celebrity broadly stated as um, i am only because quite honestly i thought you and i would probably have the same top five if i didn't do that because i think okay i think there's some some very clear and and i can even i'll throw those into to my honorable mentions but i just think there's very clear examples um and i'm sure you and i will discuss them on the list so i think uh, a friend of the show randy will appreciate that he uh he likes it when we don't have mind melts so i think (laughs) i think that uh some of our fans will appreciate that well i'll go with my number five my number five is george takei um the actor who played sulu in uh, the original Star Trek series. Now, here's why I put him on this list. Um, uh, George Takei is not has he he's not necessarily been away or disappeared or um, had any major struggles or setbacks between Star Trek the original series and now. But what I think is so interesting and how, why I put him here is he came back into the public consciousness in a very strong way in the last few years. Um, he became extremely huge on Facebook and on Twitter and social media. And um, he's also done a lot of really interesting work um, over the past two decades talking about discrimination and um, uh, a lot of the, the different things, uh, the discrimination faced by Japanese Americans in the internment during uh, World War too. So he's he's done interesting things post Star Trek and that's why I gave him my number 5 pick. I think that that is cheating a little bit because How? I, well, cuz it's not really a comeback. It's more of a broadening of a fan base cuz he has never been, George Takei has never been hurting for work. Here's how he came back. Um he wasn't hurting for work, but he was very cool 
with the original series. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of disappeared from the public consciousness, unless you were a Trekkie. Um, But now, um, many more, he's cool again. He's come back in terms of being cool and relevant. Mm, All right. If you uh, then you can't fight with me on my very broad definition, my friend. <laughs> Look, if I, if I'm gonna give you Sailor Moon, you can give me George Decay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so what do you? What's your number four? Um, my number four is a, a pretty obvious one. It's Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is your number four. Yeah. How is he not your number one? Um. That's he, he's my number one, by the way. I just thought he was an easy give. Um, I, I think that he's somebody that has struggled with a lot um, and not just struggled once, but struggled many times. And there was definitely a point where I was watching him in his career and I was very, you know, it, it's one of those things where you, you worry and, and you're worrying that you're going to see that horrible news headline um that we saw with like philip seymour hoffman uh because he had a lot of struggle with drugs and and i do remember at one point he said something to a judge something like you know i'm not hurting anybody else and it's you know other people were saying that too and it just was this you really saw you you unfortunately were at least i was terrified to see where it was going because because anything you see with him you can't help but like him as a person yeah. and he's an incredible yeah. talent. Um, but he also seems like a very, um, not, you know, a, he just was struggling with this very publicly. I'm not saying that other people are not nice people that are not, that are going through this. I'm just saying that this was just one of those things where it felt, even though you don't know this person, you really hope that he is able to overcome, um, his demons. And he did with gusto. Um, yeah. And the reason why I picked him as number one is uh, when it comes to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour and awesome things nerds love, um, he is Iron Man. And not only did he come back and has now become one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood um, and has had a, a number of great roles and was able to renegotiate uh, his contract with Marvel Studios, which, by the way, that's the, the rumor is that, the, uh, you know, in last week, Marvel announced their slate of, uh, of phase threes of their cinematic universe films. And it includes things like Captain Marvel, a two-part Avengers uh, part, uh, series. Um, it includes uh, Marvel Civil War with Captain America. The reason why they weren't able to announce that at San Diego Comic-Con is because Robert Downey Jr. hadn't signed on and he was doing some renegotiation. The reason I bring that up is, you know, here he is now, 2014, able to um, wield so much influence um, in Hollywood, and he was not at that place, especially in the 90s. So I thought for the Nerd Hour fan base, um, as a comeback and as Iron Man and as the man who has made the Marvel Cinematic Universe so awesome, he was my number one. Cool. So that leaves me with my number four, uh, which uh, is somewhat similar to George Takei. Uh, it's Betty White. Uh, <laughs> That's so, a good one. <laughs> so uh, similar here. I mean, she's very famous for being in lots of different things, but uh, not. This was also, this is in my honorable mentions because I kind of thought, that, I mean, she's a very clear and obvious choice. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and she's amazing. 
She's amazing. amazing. Amazing actress, has been in a lot of things. But again, um, for, for many individuals who probably don't remember Golden Girls, they don't know who this individual is. And she has come back in a big way. Um, and one of my favorite ways in which she came back was um, hosting Saturday Night Live. She was so awesome. And she's been doing a lot of great comedy. And she has been poking fun at herself um, and has become just such a huge celebrity among young people as well who haven't seen her earlier work. Um, I just think she's a fantastic uh, woman. And I think she's awesome. Cool. Um. Let's go with number threes. What do you got, Conrad? Um, my number three was Neil Patrick Harris because what? I just couldn't. No, my mind meld. We, you we were full of it. Melt. No way. No, I am not full of it. I am looking right. at my list, and number three is Mr. Neil Patrick Harris. I'll let you take it away. Why is he your number three pick? Well, you know what? He was, as everybody I'm sure knows about Mr. NPH, the fact that he's like an institution now, even in initials. (laughs) Um, Everybody loves him. Um, He, you know, he started out as a child star. Everybody saw him in Doogie Howser. He did a ton of stuff like that as a kid. Um, And then he just disappeared. Um, and it, it must have been, we must have been pretty tough. Um, and I know he was doing other stuff in his life and all that. But um, then suddenly he popped up in Harold and Kumar uh, <laughs> go to White Castle. Well, um, he was also in Starship Troopers. Yes, he was in that too. But I feel like the, the and he was very good in that. And I was yep. very happy to see him in that. However, I feel like his comeback movie that really put him into the public consciousness was yeah. the Harold and Kumar movie. Yeah. And they got to see him being like this crazy... I mean, he played himself, sort of. Like, he played a parody of himself. Um, just kind of insane and, and uh, irreverent and just disturbing in a little bit of a way. <laughs> um, and I don't think people had seen him in this kind of a role. Like, even Starship Trooper, so he kind of plays like a jerky, smart guy. Yeah. Um, but then which he, you would expect from Which the you would expect. But, I mean, oh. but the Harold and Kumar character, like, I think just showed that he could totally poke fun at himself, and suddenly he was everywhere. Um, he was everywhere after that. I, I mean, a lot of people will know him as um, as his character from um, How I Met Your Mother. Doctor uh, Horrible. Yep, yep. Which came a and, lot later, but still. I and mean, he beca- he came back to Broadway, was in a lot of musicals. He hosted the Tonys a bunch of times, and he's probably the best host next to he, him and Hugh Jackman are probably like the best hosts. Period. He's also and, a huge advocate uh, for LGBT. Um, Absolutely. Right. Um, he's been out there, and it, it's just sort of like um, I think somebody mentioned that they would buy stock in MPH or something <laughs> like that. That is great. Um, it, I might, it might have been on the Colbert Report. I don't remember, but it was pretty reason. It was pretty reason. But um, that would be a good investment to make. And what I love about Neil Patrick Harris is um, he's an individual who um, he can play the male chauvinist. He can he can play. Um, a more tender roles. Um, he was just um, amazing. He won uh, Best Actor in Tonys, in the Tonys for um, oh, I'm blanking on it, Conrad. Uh, the play he was in, which was a, a fantastic revival. Um, it'll come back to me. Was he um, in Cabaret? No, 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 no. Um, uh, it'll come back to me. 
and um, he he can do it all. He can act. He can play lots of different roles. Did you see the um, the picture he and his husband released with uh, with their two kids? Their oh, Halloween I know picture? that was like the best Halloween costumes. Ever. Oh yeah, and every year they release what is pretty much the best Halloween picture ever. This year he dressed up as the Riddler from Batman Forever. Um, his husband was the Joker, uh, like more of an original Joker from the Adam West era. Uh, and then their kids were Batman and Batgirl. Um, he's a, he lives his life very authentically, and everything he does, he does extremely well with a lot of rigor and passion. Um, great, great person. I, I love NPH. I would totally buy stock in NPH. Yeah, how could you not? Yeah. So, all right, we had a mind, weld, mind melt. Let's um, switch through here. I'll give my number two. Uh, my number two is Ellen DeGeneres, mm. and um, the reason I picked her, um, rising comedian in uh, the 80s and 90s, had her own TV show, Ellen. Um, she came out as being uh, gay on uh, in real life and then on TV show, wrote that into her character, um, and then basically lost her TV show. Um, and probably somewhat because of the uh, of the political views at the time. Um, some of it, I'm sure, was discrimination. And what's so cool about Ellen is um, she's come back in a pretty big way. Has a extremely successful daytime uh, TV show. Has pretty much taken over since uh, Oprah went off the air. Even when Oprah was on, I think Ellen Ellen's show was still doing pretty well. Um, and like uh, like NPH and like George Takei, um, huge advocate for uh, lots of different things, anti-discrimination, um, uh, for many different things, LGBT rights. Um, and she's if you do see her show, she's pretty funny. She's pretty authentic. She likes to dance and she likes to help people. Um, I think it's so great that Ellen has been able to come back in such a big, strong way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And... I can't argue with you there. So, so what's your number two? Um, my number two is actually, well, it's a band and it's actually more of a person. So, Oh, um, cool. But you wouldn't, I don't know that you will know this band. Um, and it's a band called Neutral Milk Hotel. Uh, no. no. Uh, <laughs> but the, the leader of the band, and who is actually mainly the band, he's the person that writes everything, is named uh, Jeff Mangum. And he came out with an album called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea in 1998. And he was like, the band, this was like a darling, this is an album that people point to, you know, listen to from beginning to end. It's really amazing. I personally love it. I know some people have a love and hate relationship with it. Um, But he pretty much did this. And then just, I don't know if he wasn't expecting the celebrity that he got or the accolades that he got, but he pretty much just went to ground. Um, and I don't know, I'm not going to get into somebody's personal life, but um, it seems as if perhaps he was suffering a little bit from some social anxiety or something like that. Who knows? Um, I think it would be overwhelming for a lot of people. It might, I think generally it, the assessment is that it was overwhelming for him, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't want to make those uh, sure, observations or assumptions without knowing anything um, because I don't know the person. Um, but that said, you know, it's been years and years, and um, suddenly um, a few years ago, like maybe 
two or three years ago, he started touring again on his own. And then this past year, um, the band got back together and they, he actually had a very successful tour, um, and has started, um, putting out new, new material and that kind of thing. And, um, and I've seen him perform a few times. He was actually at the, uh, the prospect park, um, one of the summer concert series that they do here. And, um, and I had seen him solo before that. Um, so clearly I'm a fan, uh, mm-hmm. but, it was, it's just, to me, it's really great to see somebody overcoming whatever it was that was going on and being successful. And it makes me very happy. Um, and so in terms of thinking of Birdman, um, I was trying to sort of expand out a little bit in terms of the thought of celebrity. And um, while he is not as widely known, I'd say it, it still counts, at least for me. So I think it totally still counts. And I, I think what's what's interesting nowadays and what's interesting about like indie kind of music, too, is um, you can totally be a celebrity in a, in a certain niche mm-hmm. and then in other areas be kind of a normal person. Um, I think we see that a lot with uh, the Comic-Con culture. You have people who are like really big in that, but then could probably walk around the street um, outside of that niche and people wouldn't know him. So, no, I think that's a great pick. I wish I thought of uh, bands because there's been a lot of bands that do have comebacks. And, oh, uh, and I mean, especially cool. now, and you see, especially some of the older, not, I don't want to say older, but bands that you were, there are always bands that are, um, you hear other bands saying that they influence them. So one of those is the replacements. Um, and they just like made this, you know, they, they had this comeback, especially this summer. It's as much as they could be. They peered on like Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that. And you see, you see that, that all the time, like they'll have a bit of a revival. Um, it happened with like the Pixies and things like that. So it's always nice to see, uh, people getting, I don't want to say getting their due, but they're due in a good way. (laughs) So totally. So um, we already know my number one, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Conrad, you've got the big reveal. I oh, do. Who's your number one pick? Um, my number one, I know you're, you're, you may fight with me on this, but my number one is actually, um, she is somebody that, she didn't just make a comeback as an actress, but she also did a lot of her own things, started her own production company, um, and does a lot of cool things that are not necessarily all in the public eye. Um but um, it is Drew Barrymore. Uh, she's an honorable mention for me. I, I wouldn't fight you on this. Um, and part of why I picked her is because, you know, she was a child actor and... E.T. E.T. And she she had an awful lot of stuff going on. And um, again, I don't I don't like to get into the celebrity gossip stuff, but needless to say... As a little kid, she was in, put into a lot of situations that a little kid shouldn't have been put into. Um, and I think that this is often a problem um, with child actors um, and and unfortunately sometimes with stage moms. And she went through an awful lot um, and then managed to pull herself out of it and become very successful. Um, and so at, there was a time when she was totally doing crazy stuff. Like I don't, uh, you probably, this is probably long before your time, but there, she it was like dancing on Dave Letterman's, uh, desk at one point. Yeah. Um, and there's, I've read about that. And there was like a lot of things going on where you were, it was similar to Robert Downey Jr. where you're kind of worried about her because you were like, Oh, is this going to be, is this going to be just like a horrible ending? Um, and then, you know, she, she, 
went, she had a lot of problems. She had substance abuse issues and she went through a few stints in rehab and then suddenly she turned it all around. Um, and she did a lot of very positive things. Um, a lot of positive things, um, within, you know, uh, for women, um, with her, with her film company. Um, and she does a lot of charitable work. Um, but also she, she does other stuff as well. Um, at one point somebody was asking her, um, you know, whether she was attracted to, to men and women. And she was like, yeah, I I absolutely am. Um, and consider herself to be bisexual. And that was pretty, you know, that was just pretty revealing. She's a pretty, to me, she's a very honest person. Um, I'm not necessarily, I don't think that she's celebrity on the the level of, of Robert Downey Jr. Um, but I do think that it's somebody that's been through definitely the ups and downs, um, and somebody that has had everything kind of all hanging out there in not a good way. Um, and has managed to turn around and be pretty positive. I think that's a good pick. I, uh, I completely agree with everything you said. I had her on my on my honorable mention, so I'm glad you uh, you yeah. put her on your top five. So, uh, speaking of honorable mentions, um, you got any for me today? Um, well, I had Betty White. Um, also yep. had uh, Mickey Rourke. Who? who uh, yep, for me too. Yeah, um, and you know, there's Alec Baldwin is there, but I just couldn't quite put him onto my main list. Um, yep. and I had John, John Travolta as well, though we had talked about him so much in Pulp Fiction that I didn't want to, you know, throw it in there. So any sure. others for you? Uh, Lisa Kudrow. Um, she, the reason I put her on there, it, many people probably remember her as the actress who played Phoebe and friends, but she starred in a TV show called the comeback, which <laughs> is basically about exactly what we're talking about. Um, so I thought she deserves mention if only for that role. Um, and then the other individual I had was Paul, uh, Rubens, uh, better known as Pee Wee Herman. Oh um, yeah, no, he definitely made a comeback. Yeah, he's yeah. huge right now. Uh, friend of the show, Brian Ward's company, um, Shout Factory, or the, I should say the company he works for. Uh, Brian does not own the company. Um, Shout Factory did a remastering of uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which just came out and has gotten really great reviews. And um, Paul Rubens was also on Broadway a few years ago and has made a pretty pretty good comeback from uh, – from everything that happened before Mm. so um and also i mean he uh he's been acting in things other than that character so um he actually he's been on um the blacklist uh with james spader um and i've also seen him in several different things so you know i think that that people often don't recognize him when he's not here <laughs> I know because he and he is a little odd looking or generally he plays kind of like odder characters, but not the PB character. Um, also, I actually like seeing him in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the the movie he was. in. Oh, that. yeah, that's yeah. right. He wasn't that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, uh, we we seem to always mention this on this show, but uh, the Nerdist has a great interview with him from uh, a couple episodes back. So we'll put a, that link in the show notes. Oh, yeah, that is a, that that's a really good one to yeah. to put in there so yeah so that so, is it but uh sorry yeah, dear I, listeners I, yeah oh. dear listeners see who do you side with ali or ha you got it let us know um send us an email info at simple fantastic nerd tweet us at nerd hour 
on the Twitter. And, um, yeah, uh, Conrad, where can people find you this week? Uh, this week I'm on the Twitters. Um, <laughs> so I'm Die Prince <laughs> on there and also, uh, on the the zombie podcast reanimated with with my buddy Stuart Tiffin and that's uh, reanimatedpodcast.com or on Twitter's reanimated pcast and I am uh, the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com you can also find me on Twitter at alima2 and uh, we got a pretty cool movie we're going to be talking about next week Conrad cool what is what are we talking about <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, it's late. We're recording late. We're talking about Interstellar next week. It's a oh, big deal. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got my weeks mixed up. I thought we were going to be talking about another film that I'm very excited to see. So, Big Hero 6? Yes. Well, they're both coming out next week. So. Yeah, that's why I got confused. So oh, apologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I'm very, I'm very excited to see Interstellar. Um, but like, I'm just hoping that the hype machine has not ruined it for me. I, so, I hope it's a good one. Well, we'll I do find too. Out I, I do think that this is something I have to see in the, the IMAX theater. Oh, absolutely. Similar to absolutely. how we watched uh, Gravity. I think it's just one of those films you have to do in the big screen. It's one of my favorite directors taking on my favorite genre. So you can tell I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I um, know. I know. I'm very. So, and you know, Matthew McConaughey, come on. All right. All right. All right. Uh, with that, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>